The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, a big belief that I have is we have essentially no control over certain things that happen to us in our life. What we do control is how we react and how we respond. So, But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. Hope you're keeping well. Hope you had a good week. Graham, I hope you are well. I hope you had a good week. What's the crack? Well, my week was a lot more relaxing and my legs were probably a lot less sore than yours were. Can you tell me <laughs> how did the post-recovery go? Because I know we did chat after the 4x4x48 last week, but how was the week in general? Did you get back running? Were you doing exercise? What was going on? I was actually grand, to be honest. I expected to be worse than I was. Sunday evening was tough. Monday, I was pretty stiff. I had, I had I actually had a nice bath on Sunday evening with a few bath salts to uh, relax the muscles. I haven't had a bath in don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how long, but I wasn't as sore as I expected to be. And Tuesday then I was kind of ready to go again i haven't ran since the thought of running kind of stresses me out but, but i'm also really looking forward to it and i was chatting to my brother briefly this morning and he was asking just about how it went i was obviously kind of keeping him updated throughout the whole thing we have a family group but he was saying that he told a few of his friends that this challenge was happening or whatever and then he said that I think one of his friends, friends or whatever the connection was, did another running challenge. So I, my ears perked up mm. and I was like, all right, tell me about it. And he said it was something like he ran a mile a day, two miles for two days, three miles for three days, four miles for four days, five miles for five days, all the way up to 15 miles, 15 days. Uh, which is and I, I went is straight I don't know because I went to my calculator to add it all up and I got to like seven and it was something like 140 days and I was like surely not would it be 15 to the power of 15 
Would that make sense? Well, you're running 15 miles on 15 separate days. But 15 uh, miles is more than half a marathon. <laughs> I'm not even going to try maybe and figure that's out how many it. days. May, yeah, maybe I need to get the finer details. But I remember when he was telling me this morning. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So, so I'm kind of like more open to the idea now of doing something like that again. Definitely. I went on <laughs> one run this week and I did. So uh, your four miles was 6.4K. I did one run for four kilometers. <laughs> and all I was thinking during the run was, how on earth did he do this? <laughs> After four kilometers, not even a full round of one of your runs. <sighs> That's me done for another week. <laughs> and how is the body feeling the next day? Oh, it's stiff. Bit stiff. <laughs> Have a bath that evening. Rest the muscles. All right. We love doing the episode where we talked about your emails and when you listen and share your stories with us and just share anything in general with us. And we want to make it a regular thing on the podcast, as we said the last time. Here we are again. If you have any emails, anything at all, you can email theinsulownpodcast at gmail.com. And you can check the bottom of the description of the podcast just to get this double check on the spelling. But we have about three or four emails here. Some of them are long owned. Will we get to it and just see what some of the Insulone podcast family are saying? Absolutely. Dive in. And again, I don't read these because I like Graham to read them out on the podcast. So I'm presuming none of them are, I don't know bad i <laughs> know ah, they're all good and yeah. i'm interested in this one because the first one we're going to talk about is from Mohammed goba from egypt and i hope i pronounced cool. your surname correct um g-o-b-b-a and when i'm checking the stats of the podcast around the world it always seems to chart well in egypt so really i'm sure Mohammed here is part of that and maybe he knows some other Egyptian diabetics who listen to it. Unreal. So, thank so, you for listening if you live in Egypt and if you live anywhere, thank you for listening. So subject line is protein intake and Mohammed says, Hello Owen, I follow your podcast and Instagram and would like to thank you so much for the great work you guys do. It's been very helpful to lose weight and get fit while being diabetic. I have a quick question. Almost all articles and posts talking about losing weight and building muscles highlight the importance of protein intake and how you should have a high protein diet to get there. The question is, is it safe for diabetics to have this high protein macro percentage as recommended by all fitness coaches or is it dangerous for kidneys as you know? If not, what's the recommended amount? Thank you a lot. Much appreciated. And that is from Mohammed. Thank you, Mohammed. Great email. Great question. I appreciate you listening again. And yeah, look, this is something that a lot of diabetics seem to have on their mind in relation to kidney disease or kidney failure or whatever it might be related to their protein intake if they are somebody who wants to lose weight or build muscle. So obviously, if you want to build muscle, protein is the most important macronutrient to do that. So the three macronutrients are proteins, carbs, fats, protein, like we spoke about in more detail in one of the previous episodes, is the building blocks of 
our muscles. So when we train, when we lift weights, those kind of things, we are tearing our muscle fibers. Tiny, tiny microscopic fibers are tearing. And then when we eat protein, they build back bigger and stronger. So that's the purpose of it. But a lot of times overconsumption of protein is associated with kidney issues. And obviously diabetes is associated with kidney issues. So in relation to that, if you are looking to build muscle, ideally, I would always aim for, say, 1.7 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight or 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight. So I weigh, what do I weigh? I think like 180 something pounds, I believe. Last time, last time I checked. So I have consistently eaten roughly 180 grams of protein since I started training because I know that eating protein is going to help me build and repair muscle. With that, I would be more concerned or more conscious of my blood sugar management because like most things, if our blood sugar is consistently high, it's not going to be the best for your body. It's bad for eyesight. It's bad for kidneys. It's bad for circulation, all these kind of things. So consistent high blood sugar can damage the blood vessels in your kidneys. And when blood vessels are damaged, they don't work as well. So it affects your circulation. So I would be more concerned about actually really managing my blood sugar as well as I can rather than overconsumption of protein. It's actually kind of difficult to eat too much protein because primarily our diets are going to be made up of carbohydrate because that's kind of like breads and pastas and rice. Unless you are eating something like four or five, 600 grams of protein a day, you shouldn't really have any issues. I obviously wouldn't recommend that, but I would always recommend managing your blood sugar to the best of your ability because our bodies essentially will function as a quote unquote normal person will if our blood sugar are managed. But you're obviously more susceptible to kidney issues if your bloods are consistently high. We go more into protein on episode number 38 of the podcast. So if you want more information about protein, Mohammed, you can get it there. But that's a perfect example of Mohammed who had a question. And I'm sure somebody listening right now probably had that question too. So if you have any more questions like that, please feel free to message him because Owen answers that question and then it might help somebody else who's kind of thinking along the same lines. So thanks very much for that, Mohammed. We are moving on to Derek Anderson. And his email is a long one, but he just wants to talk about his experiences with exercise and diabetes. So here we go. Take Thank you, Mohammed, by the way. Sorry to interrupt you again, Graham. <laughs> thanks for the email. Good question. Hope it helps. Take a big slew of water there because uh, it's a long one. <laughs> hey guys, my name is Derek. I just stumbled upon your podcast and I'm instantly hooked. Good one. I've only listened to a few episodes so far and I found everything you've been chatting about instantly relatable to my life as a diabetic. Thank you for what you're doing. I'm 39 years old and I've had diabetes for 31 years. I don't even remember what it's like not to have it. 
Obviously, it's a big part of my life and I can directly attribute it to me being a healthier person because I can see how my actions affect my health. It's actually a superpower if we choose to use it that way. Very true. Oh, unreal. It's true. We are a true science experiment that is constantly under the microscope, <laughs> especially with having a CGM. <laughs> I've heard and read a lot about people talking about how diabetes defines who we are and is part of us. I don't agree with that. I feel how we deal with it defines who we are. I feel I'm a better person because of it. Big, Whoa, big Whoa, that's words. unreal. Is that the whole email? No, 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 no. Oh, okay. Well, that was merely a tasting menu. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate the effort you put into the email. And so far, I love it, Derek, because pretty much everything you're saying is something that I really, really believe in. Obviously, if you listen to this podcast, I constantly preach the idea of the fact that living with type 1, you are a never-ending science experiment. And like you said yourself, with a CGM, you see things live as they are occurring. And it's like, whoa, this food affects me this way. This exercise affects me this way. Lack of sleep affects me this way. Stress affects me this way. So... Yeah, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. And I love that you say it doesn't define us how we treat it or how we manage it defines us. And that's unreal. Because again, a big belief that I have is we have essentially no control over certain things that happen to us in our life. What we do control is how we react and how we respond. So I'm loving this email. Thanks, Derek. <laughs> you're going to love the next line. I would consider exercise as one of the, if not the most important tool in my life when it comes to my diabetes management. Oh, absolutely. When I read that earlier on, I said, Owen's going to love this one. I love you, Derek. <laughs> my, my main sports in the summer are mountain biking, running and walking. In winter, it's hockey, skiing, walking and shoveling snow, which sucks. So oh, you do a lot. a lot. An array of sports. When it comes to mountain biking, which is my main activity, I typically try to ride in the morning and with very little insulin on board. I usually eat breakfast in the truck on my way to the ride. That is a bowl of fruit, which is one apple, one cup of blueberries, a kiwi and some grapes with sliced almonds, chia seeds and cinnamon on top. For a typical day of not going for a ride, I would do anywhere from 3.5 to 4 units of fast acting insulin, depending on what my number is. But when it's a day that I ride, I would maybe do one unit of insulin, depending on what my number is. Just as I can see, my blood sugar starting to rise from breakfast is usually when we start to ride. It's all about the timing. Whoa, love it. He is on the ball with his blood sugars. Really. Fair play to you, Derek. I love to hear it. And that is a perfect example of somebody who really understands how their body responds to exercise. And like I've said hundreds of times now at this stage on the podcast, exercise is going to have a significant effect on your blood sugar. So he obviously knows from his own experience that when he is going mountain biking, his bloods are inevitably going to come down to an extent. So he gives himself less insulin to see that slight rise potentially before he starts because he knows that the cycling or the mountain biking in itself is going to bring his blood sugar down. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a client just this week. He actually, I, I get him to get to 10,000 steps a day as part of the plan. And he loves walking. And only, only the other day, he actually did like 27,000 steps. Um, but anyway, that's another story. He generally will go for a walk after his lunch. 
So because we know from experience that when he goes for a walk, his bloods inevitably will drop. He still wants to have his lunch prior to when he's having a walk. So what he does is reduces his bolus insulin for his lunch, lets his blood slightly rise up because of the reduced percentage of insulin, and then goes for a walk at whatever time he likes, knowing that naturally his bloods are going to come down. So when Derek says it's all about timing, it is all about timing and living life as a type 1 diabetic for the most part is all about timing. He goes on, the rise stops after riding for about 10 to 15 minutes and it typically stays flatline for a majority of the ride, which is usually two to three hours. I always have glucose tablets on hand, but if I see it starting to drop, I start treating it with dates and dried apricots first. Sticking with the natural sugar definitely helps with the post-bike ride blood sugar spikes. When I know we're getting close to the end of the ride, with about 30 minutes left, I typically do two units of fast-acting insulin to help with the post-bike ride spike that is caused from the adrenaline that comes along with mountain biking. Once again, I can see and feel my blood sugar starting to go up as we're in the truck on the way home. This is where it's hard not to bolus, as I know I did some insulin roughly 45 minutes prior, and it's going to really start working soon. Sometimes I do another unit to cover the post-bike ride beers. Of course. (laughs) A tough day on the bike, you need a few beers. (laughs) For the rest of the day, I just keep a close eye on it and find my insulin consumption for the next day is roughly 15 to 20% less than a non-bike ride day. Mm. He really knows his stuff. This is good. Good to hear. I love it, Derek. I love hearing from people like this because he said himself, living with diabetes like a science experiment. And he's really in tune with what's going on. He's really in tune in relation to timing of insulin, timing of exercise, timing of food, which can seem very complicated. But because you do it every day and because he does it so frequently, he obviously can just make these decisions almost without thinking about it. And he said something there, Derek said something there where he took insulin roughly 45 minutes prior to when he started seeing a bit of a spike, but wait, and that's a big one. And I always, always, always preach, be patient with your insulin because particularly when you have a CGM, when you see a spike, even if you've taken your insulin 30, 45 minutes ago, you're inclined to react to that spike. You're inclined to think, why is my blood sugar spiked? I I took my insulin. Why is my blood sugar spiked? And then in that moment, because you kind of have that reaction of, oh God, why isn't it coming down? You may double down on your insulin. Because he said 45 minutes ago, I took my insulin. That insulin is still in the system. He said himself, his blood sugars will probably rise as a result of the adrenaline and maybe that digestion kicking back in. So he's seeing that spike. So that in itself might increase his insulin resistance after the bike ride, which is going to interfere with the insulin he's just taken 45 minutes ago. So because Derek is being patient and making the decision to be patient with his insulin and saying, look, I took it 45 minutes ago. It's still active. It still needs to do his thing. I'm being patient. He's going to avoid a low, probably. He's probably going to avoid a low. Whereas if he was to say, 
I took my insulin 45 minutes ago. Why is it still going high? I must not have taken enough. Take more insulin. Gonna go low. So patience with your insulin. That's the big one. Now, that was the summertime for Derek. Now it's time to move into the wintertime. Oh, there's more. Derek. <laughs> Derek so, should write a book. <laughs> Derek says, in the winter, hockey is my main go-to sport and that's a whole other ball of wax to deal with. Now, I've never heard that saying before. <laughs> I we, haven't either. We would say a whole other ball game, but he's saying a whole other ball of wax, which I love. <laughs> uh, it took a lot of trial and error to figure it out. Hockey being intense exercise, I experienced quite high numbers during and after playing, but the next day or so, I couldn't keep it up. I learned to deal with it by doing roughly two units of insulin right before I was about to step on the ice. I was able to have my phone on the bench so I could monitor my numbers. During a break halfway through, I would typically do a little more insulin depending on what my number was. Doing insulin before and during exercise was very counterintuitive at first and went against everything I was taught growing up being active, but it works for me. I've always found that the more active I am, no matter what type, the more insulin sensitive I am. When insulin does its job to its full capacity due to being insulin sensitive, dare I say it, my diabetes is actually predictable for the most part. (laughs) Thanks for everything you guys are doing and keep it up. And there's a PS at the end. I just listened to the podcast when you guys were talking about the grouse grind in Vancouver, BC. Uh, That is, of course, British Columbia in Canada. (laughs) I live in Vernon, British Columbia, which is about four hours from Vancouver. And I have family there. Next time I'm in Vancouver, I'm planning on doing the grind. I'll let you know my time when it happens. Such a detailed post. Perfect example of someone who has gone through years of trial and error. And that is from Derek Anderson. Whoa, what an unreal email. That is incredible. I I don't know how you've got so much gear when you're playing ice hockey. Do you have to take it all off to get your insulin in at halftime? That's the image I had because I'm just thinking of the Mighty Ducks and all the gear they have. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. (laughs) And I was automatically kind of going back to when I used to play football Mm. where I would see that sort of reaction with my bloods too where I would always like to start kind of higher because I would expect them to come down from the cardio. But because football, like we're training or a match, it was always quite intense. My adrenaline will be pumping at the same time. And then I might see a spike. But I could just kind of go to the side of the pitch and prick my finger at the time because I didn't have a CGM. And it was handy enough. Whereas (laughs) I'm just picturing all the gear that Derek must have had on. But... Again, really appreciate that email, Derek. Thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And I know even for anyone else to listen to that, it makes so much sense. And it perfectly outlines how different types of exercises at different times can result in a different blood sugar response. And what did he say? It went against everything he had been taught, but it works for him. And that's, a quote that really jumped out at me because I sound like a broken record. All type 1 diabetes is the same. No type 1 diabetic is the same. Derek perfectly describes that. Even though he's been taught a certain way to treat exercise or his insulin around it, it may not work for him. 
So it's trial and error, trial and error, trial and error, trial and error. And Derek seems to have really discovered exactly what works for him. So well done. I appreciate the work you do and I appreciate the email. Thanks, Derek. This is the third person who has mentioned the grouse grind. So how about this? I'm pitching this, all right? (laughs) When the world gets back to normal and we have to get someone with a lot of money, um, I don't know who can sponsor it. <laughs> we fly to Vancouver. We fly some of the Insulone Podcast family to Ooh. Vancouver. We all do the, first class. the grouse grind. Well, yeah, I was going to do the grouse grind, but I like, <laughs> I like that thought as well. We, we fly first class. <laughs> we charter a plane of diabetics. We go around, we pick them up around the world like a taxi. And then we all do the grouse grind. And then we do a live episode from the top of Grouse Mountain beside the bears. That'd be unreal. That's, that's I'm down. All right, twenty sounds good. Yeah, if there's somebody who is mega rich listening and has nothing to do with their money, <laughs> yeah, uh, come at us. All right. Okay, we'll move on to another email, and this was entitled "Episode 50." So it is off the back of the diabetic Ironman episode with Jack Anderson, and it is from Dorota Steinbacker. Now I hope I've pronounced your name correct. <laughs> I'm going to go with Dorota. What do you reckon, Owen? D-O-R-O-T-A. I'll I'll trust you on this one, Graham. I hope it's it's right. (laughs) Well, this is what's great about the emails that's coming in. They're coming in from around the world, which we absolutely love. And she says, Hi, Owen and Graham. Hope you're doing very well. I really enjoy listening to the podcast. I've learned so much since I started listening. I've just finished listening to the 50th episode with Jack and it resonated with me a lot. Diabetes is not my excuse. It is my reason. I think that was something I posted a good while ago now. And it was, I suppose, the meaning behind that is not letting diabetes stop you from doing whatever it is you want to do. Don't let your diabetes be an excuse for not doing something. Flip it around and say, make it your reason to do it. And even just from a lot of the guests that I have on here, it's so common for them to say, I wouldn't be doing this or I wouldn't have done that or I wouldn't be pursuing whatever it may be if it wasn't for my diabetes. So don't have diabetes be an excuse. Make diabetes your reason. Well, this story I'm about to read is a perfect example of that. So she says, in May 2019, together with my non-type 1 husband, I walked Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage with different routes from different places. Mm. Now, I'm not a religious person and neither is my husband, but it was something I always wanted to do. The route we chose was Lisbon, Santiago de Compas. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, get into my Spanish <laughs> lessons <laughs> yeah. now from 10 years ago. That. Santiago de Compostela uh, to Finisterra. Now, I know the R is rolled, but I could never roll my R's in Spanish class. Did you do Spanish? I did Spanish. Si, senor. Oh, uh, oh I'm impressed. <laughs> right, go on. <laughs> to, uh, basically, it's 740 kilometers in 22 days. So Whoa. that was 30 plus kilometers a day on foot. Oh, that's insane. So it is completely on foot. No cars, no walking. I've heard about this, but I've actually never heard of anybody I know. 140 kilometers. That's madness. 
Fair play. I'm impressed. Uh, She goes on. Anyways, there is no way this can be compared to completion in Iron Man. I think it can, to be honest. I would compare it. But that's how it felt to me. When we told our families what we were about to do, everyone thought my husband was forcing me to do it. You know, (laughs) because how on earth can a diabetic walk that far and survive, right? When we phoned home, everyone was asking if I was okay. (laughs) Honestly, my sugar has never been better and I could eat whatever I wanted as I was burning it off while I was walking. Later on, I realized that the more people were saying I shouldn't, couldn't do it, the more I wanted to do it. I just like proving others wrong regarding type one. Love it. Love it. So she goes on. We sort of combined the walk with meditation, if you will. We didn't take our smartphones with us to avoid spending our precious time together in this beautiful environment looking down on the screen. Best decision ever. Besides talking to each other or walking next to each other in silence, though that didn't happen much, I had the opportunity to listen to my body and fully experience the highs and lows. Oh yeah, I didn't have a C-gem back then. Just good old finger pricks. Anyways, what I wanted to say was that diabetes makes me do things that I would otherwise have no reason to do. It took me a while to get to this mindset, but I feel it is the right way to go. Greetings from Slovakia, and that is Dorata Steinbacher. And she put her Instagram in. Big fan of this. Let's push it out. Ash sugar dot mama. And sugar is spelled S-U-G-R dot M-A-M-A. P.S. If you feel like pronouncing my last name, it's originally German Steinbacher. Uh, I read that actually the... At the very beginning, and, uh, <laughs> did you? I, I just, I just wish I got uh, pronunciation help with the first name. But that's an incredible story, and yeah. exactly, it's not your yeah. reason not to do something; it is your reason to do something. That's unreal. Thank you, Dor- Dorotha. Oh, Thank Dorotha. You, Dorotha. Oh, it's Dorotha, not Dorotha. Thank you. Really appreciate you. You getting in touch and listening. That is, I was, I was listening to that, and there's so, there's so much in there that jumped out at me. So obviously, the first thing is her almost kind of changing her mindset from thinking that diabetes is something that should stop her and then making it into a reason rather than an excuse, which is a massive transformation to make. 740 kilometers in 22 days is absolute insanity. So that in itself is a massive achievement. And it's it sounded very similar to how my bloods were behaving last weekend. She was obviously so consistent, like she was moving and moving and moving and moving so consistently doing, what did she say, 30 plus kilometers a day. So no surprise that Dorotha was eating and essentially probably not even seeing her blood sugar spike as a result and requiring, I would imagine, little to no insulin because she's moving. And again, that just proves the insane impact that exercise can have. You obviously don't need to do 30 kilometers plus a day, but it just goes to show the impact that it can have. And the fact that she did the whole thing without a CGM, that's crazy. Crazy in a good way. So just to kind of get inside the mindset, obviously I'd have no clue. How difficult would it have been for you to do last week's challenge without a CGM? Very difficult. It would have just been an an additional layer of complication to deal with. But something that I really strongly believe in is is the fact that you should be kind of in tune with how your body feels. And I've said that loads of times on here, where 
even if you do have a CGM, don't be so reliant on it. Because it at the end of the day, it is like technology might not be 100% accurate or reliable the whole time. So you could be having a high, you could be having a low, and it might not tell you. Or it could tell you you're having a high and it could tell you you're having a low and you could be within range. So for me, it's really important that you're kind of in tune with how a low feels, how a high feels. So you can identify that for yourself. And the fact that Dorothy did the 740 kilometers without a CGM adds another sense of achievement to that because she obviously is really in tune with how her body feels. And she said that, she said, I had the opportunity just to listen to my body, hmm. which is a cool way to see it because it's not, you're not looking at your phone waiting for alarms. You're not looking at your phone relying on the graphs, which is an amazing thing to have. I love my CGM and anyone that does loves them too. But if you can kind if you're just like fully disconnected then, and she said it was almost like a meditation trip. So she was disconnected, obviously socially disconnected, blood sugar wise to an extent. So it sounds very relaxing, even though it was a 740 kilometer walk. She obviously got a lot out of it. And then on top of that, wanting to prove people that no, diabetes isn't going to be something that stops me or prevents me from doing this. So love it. Love the story. That's an exact example of the stories we love hearing on the podcast. And if you have any stories similar to that, it doesn't have to be something incredible. It can be something small as well. It doesn't have to be a full page email. It can be a couple of lines. Share with us the podcast at gmail.com. We really want to be doing more of these type of ones because we want to get some of the Insulone family that listen to the podcast involved and share stories because your stories could help somebody else and vice versa, and someone else's story could help you back. And the more we share, the more help is out there for the type 1 diabetic community. Absolutely. It's it's great for me and Graham to speak on this, and it's great for us to have guests on because sharing different insights and experiences can benefit you listening. But hearing from more and more and more and more people from all around the world gives you more of that reassurance of, hmm, this isn't just me. Because sometimes, as we know, it feels like, oh God, I'm the only one dealing with this thing. But we had Slovakia, Canada, Egypt, and Ireland, me and you today, Graham. (laughs) So so there's loads of us out there. So get in touch, share your stories or questions. We love to hear them. Fantastic. Back next week. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Chat soon. Have a good week.